Well, welcome back, everybody, to Say Who, Say Pod, a podcast about University of Washington football. I'm Christian Capel. He's Danny O'Neill. Uh, the Huskies came came back down to earth a little bit on Friday night, didn't they? A 40-32 to ah. loss to UCLA at the Rose Bowl. They will not go undefeated in Kalen DeBoer's first season. Uh, what, what else did we learn on Friday night? We learned that this defense has a lot of pretty deep-rooted issues, and we're going to see like all of the little sort of fears. Like I'd talked about the run defense. You'd talked about the cornerback depth. <laughs> it turns out, they, yeah, all of the above. Plus they can't get a pass rush or contain. I don't want to, I don't want to heap too much on the difficulty in containing uh DTR. He's a really good quarterback and he played a really good game. And, and I've seen him play good games before, but that was, that was a pretty poor defensive showing by the university. That was a Nick Holt defensive showing by the university of washington i'm trying to think of the the last time um the defensive backs have have been that exposed in a game and i like maybe i mean was there a alamo bowl yeah was (laughs) baylor i mean geez was it was it the last game of the no i no they've given up points since then we don't have to go that far back but it was it was that sort of game where you just knew they weren't going to stop them like it's it's strange when you get into a game like that and you're like, yeah, yeah, they're just not going to stop them. And if they stop him, it's going to be due to, to good luck. I don't, I don't see any reason to think that this defense is suddenly going to dig in its heels. Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting because I mean, so much optimism from the four and start and yeah. And warranted, you know, cause look at like the offense is mm-hmm. so much better. And I don't, I don't think you feel any differently about that group after Friday. They had more issues than they had. There were a couple interceptions and a couple sacks, but like, in the second half, you, you know, you saw what they're capable of, and they they hung in there and they made it a game, and and they were able to do that because this is a legit passing offense now. Um, but yes. you know, even they sacked Tanner McKee eight times. They dominate Michigan State. Kent State is is a, a pretty easy tune up. Portland State is a blowout. But every one of those games just kind of like had gave you that that sort of feeling in the back of your mind, like, well, like the numbers the numbers won't bear it out, but this this defense is going to have a lot to answer for once they face a quarterback who actually commits to like attacking them through the air regularly. And uh, look, they're 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 hurt, they're banged up. It sounds like Michael Powell has no chance of playing this week. Kalen DeBoer gave the like, well, maybe there's a chance Asa Turner could play, but yeah, you know, I'll believe that when I see it. So you know, but those like, are normal injuries, right? Like this isn't this isn't a convergence where I mean, I guess you had both Perryman and Powell hurt. But this, it to me feels like they they've had normal injuries. They just didn't have any depth there. They did they didn't have Pac-12 depth in their secondary. Yeah, and the I mean, you talk about Asa Turner and and Mish Powell. I mean, they were going to start the season best case scenario with guys who have a lot to prove. Yes, right. Like you know, Mish Powell gave up a, t- a, a touchdown in in man in in one on one coverage against Kent State and. You know, there's been you know obvious questions about about Asa Turner. I do think he had kind of turned the corner and was was heading toward having a really good year, or or you know potentially having a breakout year at safety. But um, you know even those guys are kind of still unproven, and and you know the hope would be that like their best football is ahead of them. And now you don't even have them, and you've got a redshirt freshman and a true freshman out there at corner, and you're you're trying to figure it out. And um, I mean, yeah, for the for the first time since probably creep pre-Chris Peterson, they, they just don't have the guys back there. And we we saw that because they had to play from behind. And the, the hallmark of each game, and this is due to their offense, is that they've staked out big leads. And then when they've given up yardage in those games, which they have, every single one of them they've given up yardage, you've kind of had this question in the back of your mind, like, okay, I don't want to overreact to this because the defense is playing the clock as much as the opponent. Right. Like in in every one of their games other than Portland State, like you saw the opponent mount drives later in games. And in all of those situations, you're like, it didn't it didn't really matter because they didn't get into that situation. They never got to the point where like, okay, they're really in danger of losing this lead. It was like, okay, they're they're still in control of it. It'd be better if they forced some punts, but you're, you're playing the clock. And this was this was the opposite where they got down and and Penix threw it. A couple of, of interceptions where it looked like he just didn't anticipate 
the the defender both picks looked like they were from defenders who he didn't anticipate covering came off their primary coverage responsibility and and saw where he was going with the ball so i i i think he stared both receivers down that would be my armchair assessment of of how they happened is that both dbs looked at it and said oh he's throwing to this guy and then dropped off and and put themselves in a place where penix wasn't anticipating it and that that defense never got stops. I mean, what the first punt was like five minutes to go in the game. Yeah, it was, it was like mid mid fourth quarter. Um, Bobo Bobo just running circles around him, and they couldn't tackle tackle Charbonnet, which we you kind of hinted at. Like, okay, Charbonnet is a really good running back, and we don't know much about this run defense. And it turned out that that Bobo was a problem. Yeah, <laughs> that guy's good. He is good. Like you, UCLA. I mean. You know they've they've taken some some slings and arrows from uh, from us uh, certainly on on their kind of recruiting efforts under Chip Kelly, but like they've kind of done a like a pretty underrated job in the transfer portal. Like Zach Charbonnet came from Michigan. Yep, Jake Bobo they got from Duke, and that was kind of like you know Jordan Addison to USC and 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 really just USC generally the way they they turned that roster over got all the the attention transfer wise. Um, you know Jacob Cowing at Arizona, and that's turned out to be warranted. He's he's really good too. But yeah, like Jake Bobo, like UCLA added this really good, you know, veteran receiver who you, you saw. I mean, he's big, he's physical, um, he, he's hard to tackle. And then hello again, Laatu Latu. He yeah. he gets to Michael Penix early for a sack. He forced I think one or two holding calls. Um, he was a problem, you know, and he he was a. He was exactly what like Washington thought this guy was going to be when they recruited him. So, um, you, you mentioned the Penix interceptions. That mm-hmm. first one was such a such a great example of the way that holding penalties can kill a drive. Oh yeah, because they had a third and one. Cam Davis converts it easy up the middle. You're moving the chains. Probably still feeling pretty good about your, your chances of scoring. But no, it's a holding penalty, and it was enforced at 11 yards for some reason. They went from 3rd and 1 to 3rd and 12. Um, I don't know if that was a spot foul deal or, or what. Yeah, do they penalize it from the spot of the foul? I think it's supposed to be from the previous spot. That's um, what I think so, too. Oh, you're saying that the Pac-12 officiating can't 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 do basic math? I've got more on that in a, in a, in a bit, but... Um, do we have more problems with the officiating? Yeah, I loved I loved last week's with with Washington State and Oregon. Well, they, it's not they, they what ran two plays and then said, "Oh yeah, you know those two plays that we ran. Forget about those. We're going back. We're getting, we're going to fire up the DeLorean and rewind time two plays. Do hell? over, do I, over. Oh, we because we thought it was we said we told him it was fourth down, but it was really third down. So we're going to go back to third down. <laughs> There was so nothing in, in the Washington UCLA game that that will warrant a public apology. So it didn't it didn't rise quite to that level. But I mean, they get called they... they get called for holding. Now it's third and twelve. You're frustrated. Ah, yeah. oh, you just got the first down, and now geez, now it's third and long. And I think there was a little pressure on that play. And yeah, I mean, you started to see a little bit like okay, when Michael Penix Jr. has some consistent pressure on him, and and you force some like you know, long passing situations, they've still hit, they've still hit a bunch of those, right? I mean, fourth, they go for it on fourth and six on the first drive and he gets Odunze down the sideline for a touchdown. But you, you did like start to see a little bit, okay, here's how you can stymie this offense and, and stymie Michael Penix Jr. Um, did think he bounced back in the second half really nicely. I mean, they, they did hang in there and, and fight their way back. And, you know, in the past, if, a Washington team got within one score with four minutes left and some timeouts, like you felt pretty good about kicking the ball deep, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. getting it back because you had a defense that, that could, could stand up and and maybe get you a stop. I did kind of wonder, like it's, there's too much time. It would, it would be like, it just would look so dumb if it didn't work out, but I'm like, man, you cannot stop these guys. Like maybe onside kick here, maybe, you know, but I get yeah, four minutes left. Know, it's it's that it, it would look silly if that didn't work out. You 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 have everything says there. You have to you have to play like you have a competent team. Yeah. <laughs> like, you really do. And I, I in those situations, what what I go down to is like if you really have to try the onside kick there when you're more than set up to, you can even withstand a first down given given where it is. Mm-hmm. Like. You just that's the way the game needs to be played because you're going to end up pinning yourself in a really like it's so easy for for you to 
make it worse over a pretty low percentage of it happening? Like, what's onside kick recovery? Is it is it fifteen percent, twenty percent? It's, it's got to be way lower than that, right? I'm, Do, I know it's like astronomically low in the NFL, but yeah, it's ten percent in the NFL now with their new stupid rules. Oh, I didn't realize it was that high. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I didn't realize, but it is. It's ten percent. Although, did you see the Seahawks? It was the it was the yeah, worst. They tried. They it was, it was tried the to worst the onside kick recovery I've ever seen. <laughs> like a dude tried to recover it with one hand behind his back. It was literally a one hand behind his back attempt. Now, granted, he got hit, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm I'm digressing. I don't have any second guessing about uh, about them the onside kick. Like, no, the, that's not the situation for it. I I want to give. This is the other thing. I think I really like how DeBoer manages game situations. When he goes for it, how aggressive he is. Like I don't, I don't want to. Everything's going so well in that regard that I don't want to mess with it over something that I would consider sort of kind of trivial or like nitpicky. Because I love like him going for it near the goal line when they went for it. I like how aggressive he is. Yeah, and I, I don't second guess the decision at all. I guess it just speaks more to like. The vibe yeah. of the game and, and how, <laughs> yeah. how how like leaky they'd been defensively that when they scored, I I, got, I thought like, eh, I don't know that you're getting the ball back if you kick it deep here. But you, you um, know what kind of idiot I am is that I talk, I was like, oh, no, they figured something out like the defense, like they they finally unlocked the secret. Like I had ta- I was talking myself into that. They they forced a punt. Now they're going to force another one. And UCLA's out of rhythm. Well, they did. They did have fourth down stop, too, there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that, I, and, that, did, and that it, didn't that didn't work out great though in like, the long term, did it? Charbonnet had a good game, um, but if UCLA had felt like their only chance to move the ball was to to run it every every play like they did last year at Husky Stadium, I yeah I, I don't I don't know that they were so effective running the ball that like you know that that would have been something they could ride to a victory. Um, so yeah, maybe you get in a late game situation and you're more definitely I think you're definitely more confident in this defense against the run than against the pass. I was thinking though. Until they play Oregon, I mean, their next three games are at ASU, then they're home against Arizona, and then they're at Cal. And, like, of those three, Arizona's really the only one that, like, I think could really test them through the air, right? Like, Cal just oh, scored yeah, nine points I, in Pullman. Yeah, I was just – I was going to say, I was like, I'm – Cal and their defense gives you UW such a hard time, and whether there's some sort of karmic debt of however did it go like 25 years where Washington kept beating Cal and now like past 10 years it's just been brutal playing them like I'm not I but you're right moving it through the air Washington shouldn't have to worry about the Bears air raid uh in in this in this game <laughs> they did once run the bear raid though which was a great name is that the what, what's the name of the dude is it was it it's, it's when they had Sunny it Sunny Dykes. Dykes yeah yeah uh, it's the the bear raid was that that school I don't think is intended to have a good offense. Like I just, I think there are certain things like, I don't think Cal, I just don't think it was meant to be for Cal really to ever have a potent offense. I just, I I don't think it works that way. Gilby came pretty close when they had Russell white, but I just don't think it's in the cards for them. Don't tell that to Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> that's true. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Marshawn. And Marshawn. They, that period of time where they got the, like the amount of talent that Cal had on those teams is wild. Um, absolutely bonkers how, how good they were under. That was Tedford, right? The fighting Tedfords? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were, they, they were wildly good, but still weren't consistent. Something about the lack of discipline from the hippie heritage of that school. I'm just glad they got the people out of the trees so they could renovate the stadium. <laughs> I love Cal. Uh, I, love that, I love that campus. I love going down there. I'm looking forward to that trip. Um, it's great. Did it's, you? I will quote. I will quote my father's letter to his mom when he was attending Cal, from which he graduated, and he said, "Berkeley's a great town if you don't uh, mind people you don't know asking you for five dollars in a place that smells like dog crap." You can do worse. <laughs> did you? So did you? Immediate? Did it immediately jump out to you um, when Dorian Thompson Robinson completed a seventeen-yard pass to his tight end? And Washington was flagged for defensive holding, and they committed a late hit penalty, dead ball foul. Did it immediately occur to you that that, that was strange that the 17 yards and the defensive holding penalty were granted before, and then also the dead ball foul? I knew that the defensive holding should not have been applied. Like I knew, I knew that that was that 
that struck me as as being a, a mistake that you either get the penalty or you get the yards. You don't get both. I got confused about. I think because it was dead ball, it sh- that should have been added to it. But I was less certain. I I knew I knew a mistake had been made. So the the dead ball penalty was that was correct. You always assess a dead ball foul, even even if a live ball foul had been committed by the same team. And I was actually like, I so I, I went deep into the rule book on this one. So I'm gonna, you know, I, I spent I spent my time doing this, and so now you you have to hear my explanation. Um, and it's in my my story on the athletic today, if if you prefer to read. But here, here we are, and you're listening to this already. So what the hell? Uh, that's a terrible tease, Christian. Yeah, that, that's what I do. I mean, you know no, that. You know like that. You can't. You can't, you can't undersell. Well, I looked all of this up, so uh, Listen, you can I'm, read it if you want. But actually, I'm just going to tell you about it. No, no, you go like this. Christian Capel saw something that was odd that many people commented on on Twitter, and being of steadfast nature and curious disposition, he decided to look into it to come up with an explanation for all of you who've been wondering what in the hell were those square-headed idiots in stripes. What were they doing on this play? Go ahead. Chris. So, like Danny was saying, I'm a genius. Yes, and, exactly. Uh, I, so I shoe I, leather journalism, folks. I interpreted the NCAA rulebook. Great read, by the way. If, if you if you've never taken a look at it, um, the key here is is the term running play, and what a running play is is basically a a ball carrier running with the football. It's not just a rushing play. It's any play from scrimmage that is not the portion of the play that's the legal forward pass. So it's either a quarterback running with the ball from scrimmage, a running back running with the ball from scrimmage, or a quarterback completing a legal forward pass to a receiver, and then that receiver running with the ball. A running play on a pass, so on a, on a legal forward pl- a pass, a running play does not begin until the receiver has completed the catch. Okay, so that's that's the key here. If you watch the replay, the the defensive holding call against Fatui to Atele clearly occurred while the ball was still in Dorian Thompson Robinson's hand, uh, certainly before it was caught by the receiver. So in that instance, you enforce the penalty from the previous spot. Obviously, UCLA would have declined that because the play itself gained 17 yards. Yeah. So they should have had 17 yards, and then the personal foul penalty would have been the full 15 rather than half the distance to the goal. So they would have made 32 yards of progress on that play. As it was, they assigned, uh, they, they enforced the defensive holding penalty as a, as a tack on, and then that brought them close enough to the goal line that the personal foul was then half the distance. They wound up getting 39 yards out of it. Danny, you watched the game. I don't think anyone believes seven yards would have made a huge difference for UCLA scoring a touchdown there. But you're familiar with the butterfly effect, though, right? You never know. The butterfly effect, uh, a butterfly butterfly flapping its wings, I don't know, somewhere like Indonesia, might translate to a huge tropical storm somewhere across because it starts a ripple of breeze that then starts a a chain reaction of events. So perhaps those those seven yards were the the difference. I got to go back, though. So... If the holding penalty had occurred after the receiver caught the ball, then it then it's a tack on. Then you do enforce it. And, are you serious? And give them the play. Yes. Yeah. Which I I don't know that I knew that. I yeah I I absolutely didn't know that. That and, makes no sense at all. And any so that means any um any rushing attempt then that has a defensive holding call on it is is a tack on. Uh, there was th- this so this happened last year and I just remembered at the time, like, cause I don't think I knew that at the time. So it kind of stuck out like, wait, they got the yardage too. Ryan Bowman d- committed a defensive holding penalty against Cal last year on an Ethan Garber, uh, excuse me, a chase Garber's scramble. And they got the, they got the, the yardage and the, the penalty yardage. And I remember thinking like, what is that? Is that right? But it just kind of forgot about it. This one, I think was a little more noteworthy because it also had the dead ball foul tacked onto the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot happening. Huh. I, I absolutely didn't know that. In the NFL, it's five yards and an automatic first down. So I guess that – because I, I, I can see the rationale of, of, of saying that you can't – like th- there's a penalty for defensive holding, and it's not like an either-or situation because otherwise you would have guys committing defensive holding and saying the worst thing that happens here is we give up five yards. And if they don't catch us, like, hey, that – 
that there there would be less incentive like there's less disincentive to do it um whereas if you're saying like okay it's added on you're like okay you actually really shouldn't do that because even even if they even if this the play is successful they don't end up waving off the penalty like you you really don't want to do it because you'll add to the run that they just got but still that's weird i didn't know that i think where where the confusion comes in is like defensive holding is almost always just a like a substitution penalty for pass interference yeah called against dbs and like those are legal forward pass plays where the pass hasn't been completed so it is always going to be a previous spot foul in those instances so like 99 percent of the time fans know that defensive holding is a previous spot foul so when it's when it's on a when it's called on a d lineman against an o lineman which is so rare um yeah i I'll say this. I mean, the officials were like, I don't know, half a second to a second and a half or so from having ruled that entire sequence correctly. If, if the so close, yeah, if the pass had been caught and then, but then like, why would you call defensive holding on an offensive lineman? Once a pass has been thrown and caught by a receiver, there's no, there's no advantage to be gained then. Right. Well, you're not sure. Like Latuli Gasanoa might run it down from behind. Yeah, that's true, and I think I what mean, it he's was, got twenty five yard, twenty five yards behind it, but he's motoring. There was like there was some RPO action on that play. Some RPO. <laughs> Why RPO. is it always RPO act? Like RPO action, like RPO action has now become a, a, a fix to it. Like blitzes are always dialed up. Like when you're when your your defense is hemorrhaging rush yards, you're being gashed. The quarterback and always, position. Yeah, quarterback position is one of them. Like these little weird phrases that we we get into. A pitcher when he faces more than six batters in an inning is laboring. Like now we've got RPO action. I love a little laboring. RPO action. Like it conjures really... such it conjures such a specific image. The guys he's taking his cap off and wiping the sweat off his brow with the back of his hand and walking circles around the mound. And oh, when he's laboring. Oh, he's laboring. That guy's laboring. Yeah, yeah total, you, you retire total five in a, you retire five in a row and you're cruising. A, a, a guard, um, a guard can really score the basketball, <laughs> which is funny because I'd like to see him score something else. I know. He really <laughs> scores popcorn containers. Like, like well, you can't score with anything else, sir. Like, it, if he's scoring, it has to be with the basketball. It's similar to the Mike Gundy, a mother <laughs> of children. <laughs> this article. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> a mother of children. <laughs> oh, that I'll always laugh at that. The day I die, I'll still be laughing at him talking about a mother of ch- children. <laughs> 15 years it's been. Has it really? Yeah. God, and that guy's still there. Still there. Hell, he might have the best team in Oklahoma this year. This year. Did you wow. see the Sooners get dragged? Yeah, rough start for them. <laughs> that was great. I, I, lo- I love watching old Big 8 teams. Like, especially, like, specifically Oklahoma and Nebraska, because for so many years, like the entire months of September, October, and even really the, like the first bit of November would just be perfunctory for those schools. Like it would build up to a meeting between the two of them. When I see one of them lose to like one of the teams they usually beat up on, I just take no end of delight in it. Like TCU, the Horn Frogs gave it to the Sooners. It was great. Sonny Dykes, there you go. Take, take, <laughs> taking the Bear Raid to the Sooners. Do they call it the Horn Frog Raid now? They should. <laughs> Did you read the Sports Illustrated story about all the the acrimony between SMU and and uh, and Sonny Dykes? Yes, that was so. Man, that that booster got his feelings hurt. Man, yes, he did. And there is there is something unique and special. It's hard to take about, it seriously about the way all of those and it happens in various places, like. How when a school gets it happened a little bit to Leach at Texas Tech, but that was basically I think Leach was difficult for everybody there to deal with, but like the stuff with Houston Nutt at Arkansas was was absolutely a riot, and that continued after he left. Um, when when you see when you see a real live grudge happen like that, it's it's one of it's what it's it's unique to college football because usually in the pros the the coach just goes away. And like the coaches have enough power in college football that sometimes you have like a legitimate like blood feud that starts. I like the part where he said like his his family was 
was going to wait to join him, but it got like, it was just so bitter and like so toxic there that they, they had to leave early. <laughs> not what, not what you want. No. Yeah. Well, you take a job at SMU, like honestly, like when you take a job at SMU, you know, that's part of the score, right? Like, like there's something off about that institution. It can be 30 years, 40 years have passed since the whole death penalty thing. But like, that school had a pay- payroll. And if you've ever watched, like the 30 for 30 on it is pretty good. I think it's called Pony Express. Like, oh, Pony Excess. NCAA, oh, is it Pony Excess? That's a pretty good play on words. Yeah. Like the school, the school gets told by the NCAA, like you've got to stop paying these players. And, and all the boosters are like, okay, but we got to keep paying them for now because we've got contracts with all these guys and we can get sued if we don't keep paying them. (laughs) (laughs) Which is understandable. Yeah, it is. That's cheating. Like there's cheating and then there, that's cheating. (laughs) So if you take a job there, don't you know that that's kind of in that place's DNA? Like you're like, something's off here. Like it could be, I know it's two generations removed and they got their program shut down, but there's still something in here at the core of the people that love this school that is off. Like these people are nuts when it comes down to it. And sure enough, like, so when you come after it, like, oh my God, this booster's crazy. I'm kind of like, yeah, 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 he is. But you kind of knew that going in, right? Like this wasn't, it, 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 it wasn't like this wasn't advertised, that there was no warning that things might go haywire at SMU. And then he went from there to a school where he's replacing a coach who has a statue on campus. Yeah, Some, it's it, it it can be tough. It, it it can be tough. And now what? What Gary Gary's coordinating? Is it Texas's defense? Uh, where is he now? I, it's either Texas or Alabama. I feel like I he was there as Texas. a as an analyst. No, I I think he's calling a defense. I might be wrong about that. He's special assistant to the head coach. At Texas. at Texas? Okay. Oh, he's not the coordinator. My bad. So he's like their Tedford? I, I guess so. Like when Tedford came to the University of Washington for a year and I chalked up all of Jake Browning's success to him? Yeah, so are they going to like set every defensive record this year? I don't think that's happening, though. No, it's not, but they did look better. Like a, and I, Well, I shouldn't say that because I basically just watched the, the uh, Alabama game when, when Sark was there looking like a 1990s R&B singer dressed all in white. <laughs> I was worried, though, because his sunglasses were really tight. Like, it was like this, the side of his sunglasses were leaving, like, an indentation next to his head. Like, it was like, you got to get some sunglasses that fit, man. I was worried about, like, causing headaches. Like, it looked uncomfortable. So my daughter has sunglasses we got her when she was, so she's almost, she'll be two in December. And I, we bought these probably when she was, like, five or six months old. Um, so when we went on walks, the sun wouldn't be in her eyes. And, and so sometimes they're still, like, sitting around the house. She puts them on. And they like just barely fit. They look like swimming goggles because they're so tight against her face. <laughs> so she she understands. She understands the struggle there. Um, that's what happens anytime Ryan Davish puts on sunglasses. No, that's not true because he's got big massive sunglasses for his big massive head. Um, I saw a graphic today scrolling through Twitter, and I, I think it um, it kind of drove home maybe the the perspective needed on this Washington team right now. It was just touting, you know, all the Pac-12 teams that are ranked, which there's five of them, um, USC, Utah, Oregon, UCLA, and Washington. And then, you know, Washington's on there. They're 21st. And Mm -hmm. here's this graphic. It's five weeks in, five games in. Here's all, you know, these are the kind of the cream of the Pac-12 right now. Washington number 21. And I thought, you know, if you went into a coma on September 2nd and woke up today, and the first thing you wanted to know for some reason was how Washington's football season was going, and you just saw that graphic. Wouldn't most people have taken that yeah. at this juncture? Yes, a hundred percent. Like I'll raise my hand and say, like, am I satisfied and encouraged by the first five games? Yeah, I am. And while the result was disappointing in UC- at UCLA, I would have felt way worse if they would have gone down there and scored thirteen points. Like you, their offense is for real. Like that offense is, has been legitimate and it's consistent and it was able turnover sunk them at the end of the first half. Like if they don't, if the, if those two picks don't happen, like they're, they're not really, I don't know if they win that game, but it certainly changes the complexion that the reason that they weren't able to keep pace wasn't because UCLA started stopping them. It was because they committed a couple of turnovers and credit to UCLA. Like they made the plays. 
but that offense is for real. Like those are like that talent, the ability for Penix to to coordinate and execute and be the trigger man. Like all of that's real. The defense, which I think there were a lot of real justifiable questions and that had not been definitively answered. We found out that, yeah, it's it. Those issues, those there, it, it does have some problems and it's been able to mask those because it's gotten out to such big leads. But this defense is not going to. It's nothing to write home about when it comes to getting stops. Like they, they, they're that is very much a work in progress. And the expectation that a coach win a things are going very, very well, all things considered. Five games into the Kalen DeBoer era, I think it it does kind of supply a bit of a data point for like, okay, how how adept is this coaching staff at like you know immediately improving areas of deficiency on on its on its team, on its roster. Cause like if you, I mean, if it's just a matter of not having the guys, which I kind of think it might be, um, mm-hmm. once they get healthy, maybe it's a little bit better that way. I don't know that there's a whole lot you can do in season. I think probably Kalen DeBoer is making some notes about, all right, let's hit the portal pretty hard at season's end and kind of get some more reinforcements in the back end. But, um, I am curious, like schematically, game plan wise, are there things that they can do to kind of put those guys in better position? Because like one of the things we talked about with this defense before the season was, oh yeah, like the safeties are going to be playing closer to the line of scrimmage. They're going to be more involved in the run game. I think you've seen that. They're probably going to play a lot more man coverage. I think you've seen that. They're going to trust cornerbacks in one-on-one situations. And those guys have been put in those situations. And on Friday, it wasn't pretty. So I wonder like, is there room within this scheme and this structure to move guys around a little bit to maybe, okay, let's, let's try to play maybe a little bit softer or let's try to, you know, play a little bit more of like a, you know, keep guys in front of you type of defense, the way you saw under Jimmy Lake. Uh, Cause I just like the one, the thing that was most glaring to me was not necessarily the, some of the coverage issues just cause like, I think that that was just, that was just going to be part of this team's DNA. They're not going to be as good in coverage but the inability to make tackles one-on-one in space. Cause like they've been really good at that. Good enough. Probably that like people came to take it for granted a little bit. Um, it just seemed like, I mean, every time UCLA got the ball, you know, in the flat and there's a defender there. And if he makes the play, it's a two yard gain. It just seemed like it, it, it didn't get done. Like the play didn't get made. And I think that's kind of what, what fans are like, that's what's most jarring because people aren't used to, to seeing that from Washington's defense. Yeah. I would say that, I'm not sure if linebacker has taken the step forward that I thought it would or hoped it would. Um, And I think that they're still working out some of the rotation there. Um, Exactly how they play. I'd like to see more Carson Bruner, but maybe, maybe they know something that, that I don't, but I would agree with the tackling. They're in a bit of a box because with Dom Hampton, like what is it's the husky position? Is that what he plays? That we yeah. call, it? but it's it's essentially a nickelback, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's more of a thumper, right? Like he's he's closer to a safety than it is to a corner, in my opinion. And and they do they do pull the safeties up, and there's a little bit of daring teams to to okay go over the top. So they're they're inviting teams to do that, and and I think when you when you face a quarterback that has a good game, and I think. I think he had a good game. Like I, I, I think he played well. And there's a little bit of okay, that's that's the risk that you've taken. Like you've you've opened that up and kind of kind of said this is this is who we are. And if you want to take these shots down the field, you're gonna there are gonna be those opportunities. I, I'm not sure how much they change from that template though, because you go back and you don't want guys to start. If that's not what you do, if you're not a team that plays in a shell. And, and has two safeties that are back and, and keeps everything in front of them, I, I think it can be dangerous to try and sort of triage rather than just say, okay, we've got a high-scoring offense, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of game we're going to play. Is <laughs> like we're comfortable if, if it's, if it's going to be in the 30s. I did like the over on Friday night, and it, <laughs> it did not disappoint. Uh, I will say, you know, I thought Julius Irving's looked pretty good. Yeah, he said, I mean, he, he played great against Michigan State. He did. Um, and you know, progress isn't, isn't linear, right? Always. 
sometimes a guy can you can look back at the end of the year and say that a a defense got better from game one to game 12 but didn't look so great in you know looked looked worse in week five than it had in week four or whatever um and you know, there's a chance ucla is just a pretty good team they have a veteran quarterback who's who can hurt you with his legs and really good running back and some big receivers um you know i think washington would have liked to score more than 32 points against that defense i do have a I think, pretty good pass rush and you know, obviously we talked about layout too a lot too but um it's it's not always the case that that even really good teams are better in week two, better in week three, better in week four. Um, it doesn't always go in a straight line like that. So I don't know that this game did anything to like change the way I perceive what this team is capable of big picture. Like I mean, even after the Michigan State game, like I had a couple of people ask me like, oh, do you think they're do you think this could be like a, you know, like a fringe, like a dark horse, like playoff team or something like that? And I'm like, nah, like. No. They're they're not built to go undefeated. And they're not built to probably go eleven and one. Like they just don't have they don't have the depth of dudes defensively that they that they have in the past to to make that happen. But like I do think you look at the schedule from here, you know, Arizona State's dangerous. They they showed that against USC. I was surprised at at how long they hung in that game. You know, since they fired their coach, it kind of seemed like they might go in the go in the tank mode, but you know they they better take that trip seriously they haven't won there since 2001 so you know none, none of these like ASU Arizona Cal obviously Oregon coming up like that none of those are gimmies there's reasons to think that like all those teams could give them trouble but in terms of what their what their biggest weakness is right now which is pass defense and and covering receivers uh Jaden Delora Jacob Cowing and uh Tetora McMillan um from from Arizona I think is I think that's that's going to be like the toughest test just from a opposing team passing offense versus Washington's passing defense standpoint I don't know if you know I don't know if your feelings toward Jed Fish will allow you to agree with that but they won they did again they covered yeah they and they 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 kicked Carl Durrell out yeah yeah, got Carl Durrell fired how about Paul Christ yeah I couldn't believe that they just axed him did you see his, his – someone tweeted his record. It's pretty good. His year-by-year record. I'll just read it off because it's like – Wisconsin fired that guy? Really? And he's yeah. like a – he's a classic, you know, Wisconsin guy. Yes. Um, cold world, man. That's – So he went He went 10-3, and 11-3, and 13-1, and 8-5, and 10-4. Four and three in the COVID year, nine and four last year, and they're two and three this season. And they, they've pretty clearly regressed. Um, lost at home to Wazoo, not totally non competitive against Ohio State, got smacked by Illinois and couldn't run the ball. But uh, man, that is a that is a quick trigger for a guy who's won at a really consistent level at a school that like doesn't typically, you know, do the 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 quick trigger thing. Yeah. They've had I mean Alvarez is is I don't want to say finally out of there. Alvarez was there for so long, and he's no longer the AD. So there was part of me that wondered if this was this was a desire to sort of start fresh because he had Christ Roots dated back to he had worked at that school under Bielema because he was he was calling plays when Russell Wilson was the quarterback, so. But it was, yeah, it was it was jarring to see. You've you've had some some pretty good programs that now have you have Nebraska, you have now Wisconsin, Colorado, which like would like to, but Colorado might be the worst program in uh, in in big boy football right now. Like it's it's going to take a miracle pretty... for them to win a game this year. <laughs> but with that said, yeah. with that said, like if Washington do they not play Colorado State? Colorado State's terrible too. No, they don't get them this year. Oh, they don't. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, if Washington's 2008 season taught me anything, it's that like I still, no matter how bad a team is, like that that was that 0 and 12 year. It, it's such an outlier. Like you can watch a team start 0 and 5 usually, and think, well, like look at their look at the rest of their schedule. I don't see anybody that I think they're going to beat. But like it's really really hard to go 0 and 12. Yes. 
and like that's that's what makes that 2008 year like stand out so much to me like wow like look at all of these horrible horrible untalented football teams with you know terrible coaching or they fired their coach mid-year or whatever yet they all managed to win like one game or two games and some of it was a non-conference schedule i get that but um really 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 hard to see how colorado avoids becoming uh the the conference's first oh and 12 team since since washington yeah yeah that's gonna be no skin i'll laugh if it happens because i enjoy misery how did you feel like DeBoer like took the loss or reacted to the loss um i think the way the way that you would want if you're a fan like he's you don't understand how competitive he is until he starts talking about like things that didn't go the way he wanted them to go um and you can just like that's when that edge kind of comes out not that he gets like you know grouchy or anything like that but you you really start to sense like okay like this this is someone who has like a very high standard and very high expectations for you know for his program and you know probably did not ever entertain the thought that like this was going to be a, a rebuilding year or whatever and um when they got off to that 4-0 start it they really did kind of act as if that was what they expected and not like you know oh my gosh look at look at this you know this maybe this year actually could be really good like i think he's he's set uh, a high standard for what he wants out of those guys on like a you know a daily a daily basis practice wise and and meeting wise and you know they're like probably a a bunch of other programs they have the whole one and oh mindset go one and oh and everything you do and and blah 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 and like that's easy for us to kind of roll our eyes out as a cliche but um i do think like they've instilled that and you know i I think they expect to win i think he he got those guys like immediately thinking that they should be a a team that wins every week and so you know like you heard ryan grubb today talk about how like it was you know he was he was devastated come about the loss because they just they felt like they, they you know felt like they should have won and they felt like they missed a bunch of opportunities. And, you know, Kalen DeBoer talked after the game about how, you know, that, that locker room was really hurting because they expect to win and, and all those sort of things. So, you know, he's, um, I don't think he's the type who's going to like dwell on it necessarily in a negative way. I think he very much, you know, is kind of of the, of the mind that you, it, it's only really a loss if you don't learn from it and that you, you can't take value from it and those sort of things. And, you know, I think he, like he ended his opening remarks Friday night by saying like, well, if, you know, if, if you learned anything about this team today, it was that they're, they're always going to fight. And like, he did emphasize the comeback and, and all that. So, um, I think but he didn't, sw- he didn't swear. He did not swear. No, not at us. We're, anyway. we're, are we pretty certain that he's not a cursor? That's what I've been told. I've been told he doesn't. I don't know. You know, maybe you could catch him slipping, but no, no, like I, it's it's a foreign concept to me. But I have some I have some admiration for a man who's uh, able to set boundaries and and, and stick to them. Um, but we didn't get a glimpse because, like, I always want to see is it like, do we get a sort of psychotic level coach after a loss? Like Jim Mora was kind of a psycho level coach after a loss. Yeah, uh, I don't think you're gonna get that. I think and, he's he's pretty even keel, and you know, he also just he just doesn't lose a lot. He's yeah, not, that's true. He's not that's used true. to it as a, as a head coach. I mean, he—that's why it's an interesting data point. Yeah, he—he he was a. I mean, you know, he had he had enough court. Like he was ten years as an offensive coordinator at some schools that did not have a a winning tradition. Um, they like wasn't always part of teams that were you know pushing mm-hmm. double digit wins or anything. But as a head coach, like, yeah, he's he's not uh, he has not lost a whole lot of games in his life. So I'm sure it is like a you know a very irritating feeling. But he's also not like Tyrone William because I always felt like Tyrone was in the process of like proving that he could not be he could be immune from any sort of emotional reaction to a result (laughs) that like he would be the same boring, stiff human being after a victory as he was after a loss that you were not going to be able to tell. Like it was that, that, that there was he was he was proving like winning some sort of one dollar bet with the Dukes about whether or not it's like I, I'm going to show you that I can take this once proud program and grind it into the Owen 12 dust without ever once even raising my voice. Like I can do it completely emotion as as emotionlessly as if I'm going through my my morning rituals of getting ready, and he did. He 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 seemed to be profoundly unaffected by uh, suffering twelve straight defeats in that final season. I think the the best thing you can say about about how DeBoer reacted was 
was that it he was relatively more or less the same person that he is after after victories except just with a little bit more of a an undercurrent of irritation and not you know not with any any individual or anything like that just you know you could you could tell like this is Kalen DeBoer and you can tell that this is Kalen DeBoer who just lost a football game <laughs> I wouldn't want to dig into that. I, I want you to. I want you to be observant in the future, Christian. I want to come down, come up with an index of like what when you know that 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 Kalen DeBoer is is upset because it was one of my favorite things to do. Of like when you could tell, uh, when you can tell like the signs when Pete Carroll's actually upset because he doesn't he doesn't let it on usually, but there there are a couple tells he has. So so I'm gonna I, we need to come up with our list of like DeBoer is irritated. Uh, indicators is it what so what is it with carol is it when he says like we yeah we got to be better at that um carol is mad when he says we basically didn't get anything accomplished like when he comes up like afterwards like he'll come up and when they get there and it hasn't happened that much recently but it did happen early on when they just get their clocks cleaned um and he'll just come up like we didn't get anything accomplished today like at that point you know he is he is furious with sort of the way his team has played. Um, and it's not even uh, when he's mad at a media member. Um, it will usually be like, he'll say something like, well, that's an interesting way to put that. Yeah. Like s- s- there's some sort of like, well, Hmm. Interesting. The way you phrased that, <laughs> like there's a pause where he, he just wants you to let, let you know that like, I realize you're putting a point on this question and trying to get a, a response out of me. I'm going to acknowledge that and I'm going to proceed to give you sunshine right back. Like that's all you're going to get is big happy. I know what you're trying to do and here's more sunshine for you. One of my, uh, one of my favorite Carolisms is when he, when he gets asked like, you know, how do you guys, uh, how do you guys plan to handle or like, how do you, how do you, how do you think you guys will handle or how do you think you guys have handled, you know, this or that? And, and he'll just say like, uh, uh, really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of the things probably because, really like, well. If, if you take like interviewing classes, which I've taken, they'll tell you how questions are way better than yes, no questions. Oh yeah. Like to say like, are you, did you like, you're better off. How did you? And Pete Carroll's found the counterpunch Cause if you ask him a how question and he will disengage from the question, like you'll see it as soon as you say how he'll look up at you and there'll be this little glint in his eye and he's like, I got something for you on this one. And you know what's coming because he's going to say, we'll handle it really well. Yeah, really well. We thought, plan to do that really well. I thought, guy, man, really, really cool <laughs> performance in the passing game today. Yeah, they're really cool. You just couldn't ask for anything better. Everything's um, really cool. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so I, I'd like I, we collect some indicators of when when we know DeBoer's mad. If he gets specifically uh, worked up at a specific media member, somebody that he'll, he'll go after. Pete, Pete would I don't think he ever really picked on any any media members. He would he would like to take a couple jabs at me though every now and again, which I deserved. It's not quite the same thing, but um, someone was asking uh, Ryan Grubb today at his at his press conference in in positive terms, just about the you know how how good Romo Dunze is basically that's the start that he's off to. And he, he kind of paused and was like, um, he's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he's here. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's, sometimes there's just only one way to say something. Um, uh, one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard from any interview ever. There's a guy named Sean Palmer who is, he was one of the, I guess he would be considered one of the first professional snowboarders. Like he was, he was an elite X Games athlete at a time when the X Games were just starting, and he's a completely irreverent, um, like he's everything about like sort of skate culture. And he was at the X Games, and he's he entered a skiing competition. I think it was like ski cross where they race, and he he wins it. Like he hasn't skied in I think at the at the that point in time he hadn't skied in a couple years. And my friend Jamie, who was covering the X Games for ESPN.com, which is where I was working asked him he's like sean you haven't skied like how how could you win this and he looks at me goes i'm pretty good i guess (laughs) 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 to this day like 25 years later jamie and i will exchange that like it's like i'm pretty good i guess (laughs) 
Oh, that's amazing. It's such a great, like, why doesn't, why don't more people say that? Like, what were you thinking when you attempted that last second shot? I was thinking like, God damn, I'm good. <laughs> Look, I'm our best player. I'm, I'm the guy who should be shooting this. <laughs> and even if I miss, I was still the guy who should have been shooting that. So yeah. And I'll tell you that I'm going to make it next time. Cause I'm really good. Yeah. That's math. <laughs> yeah. Kind of. Maybe. Uh, well, this is, this is another two episode week, I think. Since we're yeah. we're here on a Monday, um, we got to double up. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, so we'll we'll do our we'll do our Pac-12 picks um, next time. I will say again, thank you to everybody who has rated and reviewed our podcast, uh, especially on. Nobody emailed me though. They didn't. Yeah, I was kind of bummed. I'm gonna I'm gonna email you like 13 different variations then for sure. Yeah. So email email me if you if you missed it out. I'll, I'm now now gonna throw it in. I'll give you a dang apostrophe T-shirt. If you email me, uh, if you email me a job description for what I currently do, um, at Danny at dannyoneal.com. It's very very simple. There's no apostrophe in there. D a n n y at dannyoneal.com that we can post, or you can post my job description with your review uh, of our podcast, which really does help people find out about it. Um, I'm writing a mailbag this week, but for the first time, I'll say if 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 you have a mailbag question you'd like answered on the podcast. Um, you can tweet it to me or or Danny, and we'll compile those and maybe answer a couple um, in our our second episode later this week. They, I, I think we're at forty two five star ratings on Spotify and 40, really? 49 five star ratings on on Apple Podcasts. So um, the thank people you to, seem to power to the people. Every single one of those people, yeah. Thank you for uh, for letting us know how you feel and and for for giving us some some ratings. Uh, but we need more. You know that's the that's the point. Our to our to our fiftieth. Uh, five-star rater on apple Podcasts. we will give you another episode of this podcast <laughs> i don't know who you know there's no way for me to know who that person's going to be so it's hard for me to like you know promise anything monetary i could if you if you if you give it a five-star rating and shoot me a dm saying it was you i'll, I'll send you the link before i tweet it out to everybody else so you can have you know you can have a, a, sne- a sneak peek advance yeah, i was gonna it. say sneak peek but it's not really a peek it's a listen all right, we'll see you later this week. Um, enjoy your your Monday, your Tuesday, and your Wednesday, and and your Thursday. I know we're well, going to try to. We will, and I, what I have to say about the show is it was pretty good, I guess.